All right, everybody, good morning. How are we doing? Fantastic. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I hope that you uh, find this to be a place where you can take the next step towards Jesus, whatever that step is. And for a lot of us, uh, we just come here every week because we know that we need to surrender more, but we don't quite know how to do it. And so we ask God to help us surrender. It's, it's part of the process of becoming more like Christ. We, we surrender, He changes us. We surrender, He changes us. We continue that our entire lives. And we've been in this series where we've been looking at the first century believers and the way they prayed. And just like the disciples looked at Jesus and said, uh, teach us to pray like that, because when you pray, something different's happening than when we pray. They watched Jesus pray, and they said, when, when you pray, you actually connect. You're having a conversation. Something's happening when you pray. Jesus, teach us how to pray. And then we look at the first century disciples, and, and I go, God, teach me to pray like they prayed. Because they prayed with desperation. They prayed with anticipation. They, I'm moved by the way they prayed. Jesus ascended to heaven, and they're left staring into the sky with an impossible mission. They're desperate for his return. They spent every day with him. They connected with him through prayer. They were desperate for his presence. And so when we look at their prayers, we're moved by their actions. When Jesus ascended to heaven, those left staring in the sky were desperate. You see, we're studying the way they prayed because we too are staring into the sky, wondering when he's going to come back, wondering how in the world his mission is going to be accomplished. We're desperate for his presence and his power in our lives. We're just not, I think, as desperate as they were. So we've been talking about how do we amp up our prayer lives. And we've talked several weeks ago about how they prayed with their hands extended. They, they reached out to each other in prayer. They, they prayed with, with their spiritual hands and their physical hands literally on people. And then we talked about last week how they prayed with their spiritual eyes open. And what I mean by that is they prayed with the understanding, the, the belief that God was actually going to do something. A lot of times we pray, we just, well, maybe God, hope God. They expected God to act on behalf of their prayers in whatever way God deemed best and most appropriate. I wanted to teach about the way they prayed. And one of the ways they prayed is they fasted and prayed. And I want to pause today and teach on fasting. Because I believe it's critical for the church now, perhaps more critical than ever before. It's for our church, our community. It's particularly important in our Western culture. You see, we live in a society of instant gratification. We're selfish people and we want our needs met now. And I think it started with the Polaroid Instamatic camera. I really do. I don't want to wait for that picture of my foot. I want it coming out right now. It really went nuts when we added the microwave. We've got to have it. We've got to have it now. Patience was once a virtue. Now it's as rare as a handwritten letter. We drive through McDonald's, but that's not fast enough. We've got to have two lanes. And that's not fast enough, so we've got to have an app. We check wait times to decide when we're going to go to the hospital for emergencies. <laughs> we don't buy CDs. We download music instantly on Spotify. We watch on-demand movies. We read books electronically. They get downloaded instantly. We get emails and text messages immediately. If we have to mail it, we FedEx it overnight, and that's still not fast enough. We have access to 24-7 news and sports and stocks delivered to our laptop, our iPad, our smartphone, our smartwatch. We have a fast pass at Disney. We demand instant internet access. 3G is not good enough. I need 4G. Now I need 5G. It's never fast enough. We order things on the internet. We pick it up at a loading dock an hour later. We have it delivered sometimes the same day. We don't wait for computer programs. We download them instantly and we complain if they take too long to download. Gone are the days of getting up to get a cup of coffee while you wait for the dial-up connection to actually connect. 
We get frustrated with red lights that are too long. Don't really stop before we turn right on red. We want everybody to get out of our way. Technology and gadgets from smartphones to smart, uh, so, well, to not smart social networks have put our culture on steroids. We have compulsions to check emails, to send texts, to talk on cell phones, to be immediately available. The National Safety Council estimates that more than a quarter of all traffic accidents are related to cell phones and texting. Some lawyers are calling cell phones the DUI of the 21st century. Lee Stevens, a partner at Franklin Covey's productivity practice, said we have to stop the madness and be deliberate about choices. We have to learn to act on the important and not react to the urgent. It's becoming harder to create protected space for yourself and for you and your family and you're read as uncaring or if you're unavailable by other people. Some universities, including Notre Dame, provide counseling service for internet addiction. Specialized treatment centers, outpatient and inpatient, residential programs to keep people from the impulse of connecting online. There's even a debate among therapists whether it should be added to the American Psychiatric Association's Manual of Mental Disorders. We don't do self-denial very well. Just saying. We struggle with any kind of gratification that's delayed. We don't embrace patience. So something like fasting, not really on our list of faves, just not. In a culture of instant, purposeful delay of the necessary seems really, really hard. It's unnatural for us. I believe it's harder for those of us in America than for any other people at any other time in human history. Fasting forces us to delay gratification. Forces us to set aside the instant for, dare I say it, something we have to actually wait for. Fasting is just one way that we're reminded, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Fasting renews our mind. It's the antidote to the instant gratification that is our mindset based on our selfishness. So what is fasting? Well, fasting is abstaining from something for a spiritual purpose. In the scripture, it usually represents food. Fasting says to God, more than my body wants food, my life wants you. My soul needs you. Fasting clarifies our need. Do we really want more of God? Do we really want more of God in our lives, in our family, in our marriages, in our relationships? More of God in our church, in our city, in our world. Do we want to see those things more than we want food? If so, fasting is an essential expression for us, saying to God, more than we want the basic necessity of daily food, we long for you. We desire you. We crave you. We're hungry for you. You're the only thing that can truly satisfy. We're willing to wait for the real gratification that you bring to us. We abstain from something that we must have. So fasting is to choose to go without something for a spiritual reason. And when we give up something, God calls that sacrifice. It can be our money, it could be our time, it could be our pride. Sacrifice means to give up something that we value and often something that we think we need. It brings glory to God to see us sacrifice an essential need and a deep desire like food. You give up the immediate physical satisfaction for something greater, a spiritual satisfaction. Well, why did the disciples fast? They fasted and prayed. It's all through the book of Acts. Why did they do such a thing? Because they saw Jesus do it. Why should we do it? Because we saw Jesus and the disciples fast. Matthew 4.1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, just think about that for a minute. 40 days and 40 nights. Now, people say, well, Jesus was God. He didn't know he was human. 
40 days and 40 nights. Think about this. Let that soak in. And, understatement of the scriptures, he was hungry. Why does it say that? To let you know that this isn't some spiritual dude floating by. This is Jesus in the flesh, fully human, no food for 40 days. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now that's interesting. Satan knew. He knew God could turn those stones into bread if he wanted to. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Some of the people, oh, he's just superhuman. He goes without food. No. He fasted and felt it for 40 days. Matthew tells us he was hungry to emphasize the point of his humanity. We've talked before about how the big question in the first century church was, was God really human? They could handle that he was God. They could handle that Jesus was God. But the idea that he became human was what they struggled with. We struggle with the opposite. We know that he was human. We question whether he's God. We know he's God and we question whether he's human. it's, It's the look at how we see Jesus. Now, Matthew told us he was hungry. And note that when Satan tempted him, Jesus didn't disagree. He didn't say, oh, I can't turn those into bread. He knew he could. Look at how he handles temptation. Jesus was physically weak, but because he'd been fasting, he was spiritually strong. He quoted scripture and not the easy stuff. He pulls scripture out of Deuteronomy, chapter eight, verse three. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might be able to to make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He pulled that out of Deuteronomy. Now, think about this for a minute. God's talking to the Israelites. They're wandering in the desert. He humbled them. He actually says that he let them get hungry. Don't miss that. He let them get hungry. He's watching. They're hungry, they're running out of food, they're praying. Okay, he let them get hungry. He allowed it. He allowed them to feel hunger so they would appreciate his provision. Every day God delivered bread from heaven. Just enough bread for that day, just enough for their daily bread. And because he allowed them to feel hungry, Before he provided, they appreciated more what God had provided. Every time I end a fast, after being really hungry, I'm amazed at how heartfelt my prayer is when I say, thank you, God, for this food we're about to eat. It's amazing. Anytime we realize our need, our true need, in a very real way, we appreciate so much more when that need is met. One of my fondest memories as a child was homemade ice cream. You remember this? Hot August nights, fireflies, intense pain. That's what I remember. They come with severe pain in my right arm. My job was to crank the ice cream maker until it became ice cream. It seemed like it took for hours. Now, a lot of you are going, what in the world are you talking about? Well, we had these ice cream machines that you had to crank. And it was always the job, usually of the eight to 12-year-old boys, whoever they were, to be tortured enough to get sit over there and crank this thing forever. We didn't have electric ice cream makers. We cranked that baby by hand, and it hurt. But it created an expectation. It created a need. I mean, by the time that ice cream was ready, you had worked for it, and you couldn't wait for it. And it tasted better. I still think that's the best ice cream I've ever eaten in my life. I don't know if it was or not. But I created God in many ways through that pain. My parents and everybody allowed me to understand my need. We didn't always have these electric ice makers. But then one day, my dad came home with an electric ice maker. It was beautiful. It's magnificent. One of the greatest gifts a boy could receive from his dad, except maybe a riding lawnmower. 
Anyway, at that age, this was the bomb. No one, no one appreciated that gift from my dad more than me. Hours of cranking helped me understand my need. God allowed the Israelites to develop hunger because gratitude comes from a heart of humility and need. Depriving ourselves of working for something makes us appreciate what we've received. The casualty of our instant gratification society is gratitude. When we receive instantly without effort, we tend not to appreciate something. In fact, we come to expect it and often demand it. But when we have to earn it, when we have to work for it. I remember once Tammy telling me she went on a mission trip and their job was to work at a, a coffee farm. And they had to carry these huge bags of beans of coffee up these mountains to get them to the trucks. She said she never in her life appreciated coffee more than after she spent a week carrying coffee bags up a mountain. There's something about creating need. And then God says, here's why I let you get hungry. Now think about this. They're in the desert. They're wandering. God is leading them day and night, fire, cloud. They're praying and they don't see any food on the horizon. And God seems to not be answering their prayers. They're getting desperate. He allowed them to get hungry and then he tells them, so that you would know. So that you'd know. You see, God is constantly teaching us what we don't know. He's constantly developing in us a need, a spiritual need that only he can fill. A friend of mine had a 16-year-old daughter. Came to him and she said, hey, I'm ready for my car now. I want a Ford Mustang convertible in red. And if possible, this year's model, Dad. That's what I need. See, I need that car. He told his daughter, you're not ready for that car yet. You're not mature enough. So she stomps away. She comes back a few months later. Okay, Dad, look, I've been thinking about this. It wasn't right for me to ask you for that car. Okay, it doesn't have to be a convertible. Okay, just a new red Mustang. Even a year old is okay. I just need a new car. And he told her, you're not ready yet. A few months later, okay, any Mustang, red or not, brand new or not, you're still not ready. On her 17th birthday, Dad, I need a car. I need a new one. It doesn't have to be a Mustang. Any new car will be fine, Dad. No, not yet. Finally, Dad, I just need transportation. I got to get to work. I don't care what it is as long as it drives and as long as it'll get me from here to there. <laughs> and he said, now, now you're ready for your car because you understand your need. You see, because you clarify what you really need, you need transportation. In the same way, God often creates in us a desire. He arranges our circumstances to get us to focus on what's really important, to know what we really, truly need. And just to sort of put the spoiler in, what we truly need is Him. And when we've humbled ourselves and when we've agreed with Him what our need truly is, then He provides it. You see, God wanted the Israelites to clarify their need, to make sure they know that you don't live on bread alone. How do you live? How do you know? You go without it. You feel hunger for a while, and you don't die. So God showed them a physical need that they could do without to teach them how to replace it with a spiritual need they could not do without. I repeat this often. We tend to focus on the physical but God, Jesus, is almost always constantly trying to get us to see the spiritual things in our world. It's really important, he says, that we live on the word of God. In other words, your survival is actually not dependent on food. There's something greater and deeper in this world that sustains you and me. It's not food. It's the word of God. 
Fasting is a spiritual discipline. It's a form of worship that moves the hand of God. It's like this supernatural exchange that occurs between us and God. We give to God what means the most to us and we receive something in the spirit from him. God gives us what is most important to him and please don't miss this, what we actually truly need. So is fasting always about food? No. For years in our church, our high schoolers have fasted for 30-day media fasts. No internet, no TV, no texting, 30 days. And replacing that time with Bible study and meditation. And we're all going, that's a great idea for those kids. They need to learn that. Uh-huh. 30-day media fast, you ought to try it. See what happens. It's not just for kids anymore. Married couples have fasted from sexual intimacy based on 1 Corinthians 7. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The purpose of that fast is to abstain from sexual intimacy for the purpose of a deeper spiritual communion with God between a married couple giving up something in the flesh to gain something in the spirit. Now note here that God is very pro-sex in marriage. It's his idea. He created it. Between a man and a woman who are committed in marriage through a covenant relationship between themselves and Jesus Christ. Two people joined together by him, surrendered to him. Do not deprive each other, he says. Limited time, come together again. It's his idea. Sometimes we fast to gain God's perspective. Fasting from a relationship may be an important thing to do in order to gain a better perspective. Fasting from activities that can consume us, like golf, sporting events, shopping, working out, not working out. Fasting is generally thought of as food, but it can include any area of your life. It's giving up something that's really important to you so that you can spend that time and that energy connecting to God. You see, fasting is not just stopping something. It's stopping something and adding more of God in its place. But few things get your attention as fast as food does. Our bodies shout quickly when food is missing. We have this internal dinner bell, a natural alarm against starvation. Jesus fasted from food. As Christ followers, we did what he did. We should do that as well. So what are the benefits of fasting? I mean, if God's calling us to do this, it must be better for us, right? I mean, he read the scriptures, all things work for good, fasting included. There's something about fasting that God has determined helps us connect with him. Every hunger pain we have is a physical reminder that we have a spiritual need as well. It moves us from our need to our need for God. The first thing that fasting does is it provides for us communion with God. Hunger pains remind us to pray. That's the whole point of the fast, to draw near to God as he draws near to us. How many of you have gone through a day in the morning going, I'm going to pray today, I'm going to pray through everything, and you get at night and you're like, whoa, didn't quite get that one. Well, if you're fasting, you have a reminder all the time. Yes, today is the day I'm connecting to God. Draw near to God as he draws near to us. It's not just about avoiding food. It's taking the time that we would have spent preparing and going and planning and eating and cleaning dishes and all those things and feeding on his word and being nurtured by the Holy Spirit. Having a spiritual meal with God instead of a physical meal with ourselves. Fasting improves our connection with God. It's like removing the static out of the line. As you tune in spiritually, the static of your flesh begins to go away. Second thing that fasting does is it brings humility. Hunger pains remind us that we have unmet needs. You realize, you begin to realize that you really do depend on God to meet every need you have. You acknowledge God and you humble yourself during a fast. Third thing is it allows you to spiritually focus. 
changes your perspective. It reminds you that you're going to keep God front and center today. It elevates your mind in a lot of ways. And we always see better spiritually with our mind elevated above our circumstances. As your view of God increases, your earthly view of things diminishes. As you gain God's perspective, the mountains of your life seem smaller, obstacles become opportunities, the weight of your situation lightens, and you find peace in the midst of storms. Fasting puts God first. Fasting provides victory over Satan in your life. We already have victory over Satan, but fasting reminds us that God is truly in control. When you're physically weak, you have to depend on God's strength. Satan knows that the Bible is a nonfiction book about the story of his failure. You ever think of it that way? The Bible is the story of Satan's failure and destruction. It's a great novel. It has a great ending, by the way. It's the greatest weapon God gives us. Jesus quoted scripture when Satan tempted him every time. We're to do the same. It's the power of the word of God that is our strength. Fasting reminds us that the victory's already been won. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Notice the order. Submit to God. Draw near to God Resist the devil, draw near to God, and he will flee. You can't resist the devil if you haven't drawn near to God. You don't have power to do that. The only way you get the power over Satan in your life is to draw near to God and let his power that's already victorious deal with it. After 40 days of fasting, Jesus resisted the devil, and look at what happened. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Fasting reminds us to use the word of God as our strength and to try not to fight the battle on our own, to be armed with the word, the, the written word and, and the word that became flesh. He's the food we really need. As we draw near to him, Satan flees. Next thing that fasting does is it brings us to a place of surrender. Fasting tells God, I want you more than this. Fasting is the way that you learn to teach your flesh to stay under control of the spirit. It's through fasting that you begin to realize you have a very powerful spirit in you. That is more powerful than your fleshy desires. When you learn to rely on God's strength in an area of physical need for food, you begin to rely that God can use his strength in other areas of your life as well. Fasting brings guaranteed rewards. Matthew 6, 17, but when you fast, notice not if, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you read the Bible and it says God's going to reward you, do whatever happens before that. God promises to reward those who not only pray, but those who fast and pray. Fasting gets God's attention. Is it really that easy? I fast and God just answers and gives me what I want. Well, the verse says you fast and God rewards. The reward may be more intimacy with God during circumstances that never change. But it's clear in Bible that God responds to fasting. Fasting adds volume and urgency to our prayers. Over years as a doctor, I've heard nurses call out for help all the time. You learn from listening to the tone of their voice how to respond. Sometimes their call for help means I need an extra pair of hands. Other times their call for help means I need cleanup in room 15. Doctors never answer that call for help. Sometimes it's a frustration cry for help. Sometimes it's a you will not believe this cry for help. We answer that one, but never first. But then there's a cry for help that includes panic. It's the 911 cry. You know that cry. You stop what you're doing and you pay attention to the circumstance. 
God knows how his children cry out to him. The prayer accompanied by fasting is a prayer that comes from a desperate need. It triggers an immediate response from God. But remember this, God's response is God's response. God may not give you what you want or what you think you need. He gives you what he knows you need. And God promises to reward those who put him first. So you decide to add fasting as a spiritual discipline. Now maybe this is a brand new experience for you. Maybe for others it's been a really long time since you truly fasted. Maybe you're routine in this and you know what I'm talking about. Fasting often brings these kind of responses. Whose idea was this? I don't like it. When can we eat? Are we having communion tonight with that little wafer? Some people may be wondering, what are y'all doing? I don't get it. Why, why are you doing such a thing? But if you decide you're going to fast, it's going to be important that you take steps and you prepare in advance. Commitment is important. The first thing, ask the Holy Spirit to set your objective. You see, before you ever decide to fast, know what the Spirit wants you to do. Why are you fasting? What's the goal of this fast? Is it to draw closer to God? Is it to guide, get guidance in an issue or area of your life that you're struggling with? Is it a healing you're looking for? Is it a revival you're looking for? Is it the salvation of a family member or friend or other people? Is it more of a pouring out of the Spirit so that you get more spiritual fruit in your life? Is it to gain God's perspective in a circumstance? Is it to experience God's presence in a circumstance? Is it to just develop your relationship with God? You see, there's a lot of reasons you can decide to fast, but before you ever start, you need to ask the Holy Spirit, why are we fasting? Not why are we fasting like I don't want to, but why are, what is it in my life that fasting would bring spiritual energy to? What is it God wants to talk to me about during this fast? Ask the Holy Spirit to lead your fast. Let him direct you on the purpose and the objectives of your fast. He's the one who teaches all things. He'll tell you what we need to focus on. Second thing, make your commitment. Pray about what kind of fast you should undertake. What are you willing to give up? What physical desire are you willing to surrender? What sacrifice would be worship? What are you willing to give up in order to get spiritual gains in your life? How long will you fast? What type of fast? Water only? Water and juices? How often? Any physical or social restrictions? Do you need to limit exercise during this time? Fasting is a great time to take your wife to that restaurant that you can't stand. You know? It's that restaurant where you just hate the food. Honey, I'm taking you out to dinner tonight. Like a mushroom place or something. What are you going to add? This is a very critical part. Now here's something I wanna say before we go any further. There are lots of things to fast from. Okay, make sure you hear this. You can fast from mobile phones, you can fast from Facebook, I think that's a good one forever. You could, you could do a lot of different things. If you're a teenager, particularly a teenage girl, do not fast from food. Pick something else. Pick something else. Don't do it, okay? Uh, God will give you some other way to fast. I think that it's, it's too dangerous. Just put that out there. Now, when you fast, the other thing you need to do, it's not what am I gonna do without. It's God, what do you want me to add? It's a very critical part of the fast. Instead of eating, what are you gonna do with God during that time? How much prayer time? How much time in God's word? Are you gonna go serve other people during your fast? Instead of spending the time you're gonna spend eating, what is it that you're going to do? Because it's not just about abstaining from something, it's about moving closer to God. You need to ask yourself before you ever start, what are you gonna do when you get hungry? You will get hungry, Jesus got hungry. Fasting's not easy, it's a sacrifice. 
Jesus was tempted in his fast and you'll be tempted in yours. Expect it so you can deal with it. The thought of food will occur. When you're fasting, opportunities come up out of the blue to get you to your favorite restaurant. Some crazy thing happens. Be on guard. Satan doesn't want you to continue your fast. When you're tempted, what are you going to do? Well, let me ask you this. What did Jesus do? Quoted scripture. Here's one, 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's an important verse to have with you when you decide to go fast. Temptation, brownies, cheeseburgers, wings, chocolate. God is faithful. No temptation's too great. He will give you a way out of escape. In this case, he's told you the way of escape. Go to his word. Prior commitment is critical because once you start to fast, Satan will use temptation and your physical weakness to try to get you to compromise your commitment to God. Writing down what the Holy Spirit guided you to do keeps you from compromising. In fact, I recommend writing a short letter to yourself with a full belly. Write a letter to yourself. Mine goes something like this. Frank, I'm writing this to you with a full belly. If you're reading this, you're tempted to change the commitment that you made. You're a wuss. <laughs> Here's what you've committed to do. Each one of these, Satan does not want you to do. God promised to reward you for fasting. You don't want to miss his rewards. You're going to give up something physically in order to gain something spiritually. You are modeling what Jesus did on the cross. He gave up his physical life so we could have spiritual life. People around the world are really, really starving, really suffering. You're just hungry. You have the hope of food on your horizon. You know food will eventually come. Many people don't. Feed on the word of God as Jesus directed you. Stop whining about how hungry you are. There you go, a letter to yourself. Feed on the word of God. What, well, what kind of scriptures should we feed on? Well, here's one, Philippians 4. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, most people look at only the last part of that. This says that when you're hungry, there's a secret. Not everybody knows. You can get through it. How? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 3.8, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. 1 Peter 2, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. 1 Peter 5, and after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Take those scriptures. Add them to the bottom of your letter. Take that letter and put for emergency only on the outside of it. Leave it many copies. The refrigerator, the pantry, your car, wrapped around your credit cards, whatever it is, know how to get to that letter. Next thing, prepare yourself spiritually. Make sure you're a clean vessel for God's use before you fast. Prepare your heart. List all your unconfessed sins. Make sure you confess them. Confess every sin and accept God's forgiveness. Go into your fast clean and pure with God. Ask God to allow his Holy Spirit to help you surrender. Refuse to obey your worldly nature. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Spiritual worship. Preparing for a fast is spiritual worship. I'm going to get as pure and holy, and I'm going to confess every sin. I'm going to get myself ready, because when I go fast, I want to be with the Holy Spirit. Meditate on God's attributes. Expect Satan to attack. Expect to have a battle raging inside of you between your flesh and your spirit. That's the point of the fast. 
You see, the point of the fast is your flesh is going to go crazy and your spirit's going to go, shut up. And you're going to learn in a fast that your spirit is more strong, stronger than your flesh. That's the point. We spend our whole lives chasing our flesh. Spirit of God says, no, I got something better. Galatians 5.16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I want to eat. No, you don't. No, I really want to eat. No, you don't. You want to be with Jesus. But I really want it. No, no. That's the point of the fast. Don't be surprised by it. Consider it an honor. Satan is afraid of the power and transformations that could come from your lives if you successfully fast and connect with God. Prepare yourself physically. Consult a physician. You may have to adjust some medications for a few days. You may have to change your exercise regimen. There might be certain people you need to avoid on those days because they're always giving you food. Or when you tell them that you're not eating, they won't leave you alone. I recommend that teenagers focus on media fasts, and I'm going to say it again, particularly young ladies, I don't recommend you fast from food. Don't rush into your fast. Reduce your intake gradually as you go. Approach the start. Get your mind ready for the fast, and then focus on your soul. The next thing is plan your time with God. You're going to have more time in the day. Plan it. The whole purpose of the fast is to get spiritually closer to God. Decide what book of the Bible am I going to study? What am I going to do? How am I going to spend my time with God? If fasting is for healing, I'm going to study what God says about healing. If my fasting is for provision, I'm going to study scriptures about how God promises to provide. If fasting is for revival, I'm going to spend my time studying what God says. If I'm fasting for someone else's salvation, I'm going to spend my time praying for them. How are you going to spend the extra time you have when you're more spiritually connected to God? So why so much time on fasting? Why did I basically go into all this today? Why now? Why remnant? Because I believe God is calling us to seek him for revival. I think we're in a horrible time in our lives. As, as believers, as a world. We're desperate for God to pour out his Holy Spirit on our church and our community, and I think God has a question for us. He, he sends revival. I think God wants to know our answer to this. Do you really want me? I know you say you do. But do you really want me right now in this time? Do you really want me? Do you really want more of who I am? Do you really want the changes I'm actually going to bring in your life, in the life of the remnant family? Do you really want to embrace the people I love? Because I'm going to call you to a new place. Do you really want to embrace those I got to teach you how to love? Because I'm going to call you to a new place. Are you ready to get rid of your prejudices? because I don't have any. Are you ready to drop your arrogance and your pride? You see, more of me means a lot less of you. Are you really ready for that? No longer a consumer, you're now a contributor. You see, more of me means sacrifice. Everything for my mission, your time, your talent, and yes, your money. That money you have a death grip on. I'm going to call you to let go of it and trust me. We're going to pour it into other people. We're going to pour it into the ministries. We're going to pour it into the gospel. Are you a consumer or a contributor? See, I'm going to challenge you on that. Are you sure you're ready for me? Because when you're desperate above all else for me, then and only then you'll see revival. When revival is the most important thing to you, you see, I'm going to create a need in you for me, God says. You're going to become desperate for me. What separated their prayers from ours? They were desperate. Revival came when people prayed and were desperate enough to fast. You see, God wants us to crave him more than anything else. 
He wants us to cry out to him because we're desperate for him. I, I believe this is a moment in our church where God is asking us, do you really, really want more of me? Because I'm bringing changes to your life, to your priorities. How desperate are you for me? Are you hungry for me? And how badly do you want me? I think God's asking. I'm challenged by the first church in Acts. They were totally sold out to whatever Jesus asked. Look at what's happening in their church. There's one sermon and thousands are cut to the heart and turned to Christ. Next chapter, lame man jumping up, running around the temple, praising God. Next chapter, um, thousands more come to Christ. Next chapter, they're persecuted and they're happy about it. The next chapter, the number of disciples is increasing rapidly. People are coming to faith in Christ every single day. Their numbers are growing. Churches are being planted all over the place. The gospel's spreading with power. Demons are being cast out. I see what they were experiencing. And then I look at the church in America and I go, what's missing? You see, what they experience is what we're supposed to be experiencing. I see the potential of what God's people can do when they're desperate for him. I see what we've allowed ourselves to come. It makes me want to cry out to God. We need to be desperate for more of him and more of his power. When you see the first century church, does your heart burn to see what they saw? Do you ache when you realize what we've truly become as a church? Do you want to be the church that represents Jesus or not? Do you have a holy discontent for what could have been? Are you willing to cry out to God until his promises come true? You see, desperate churches, churches desperate for what could be, desperate churches, they fast and they pray and they never let God rest because they're always crying out to God. They're always calling for God. We need more power down here. We need more surrender down here, God. We need more of you down here in our church, God. I want Remnant to be the church that gives God no rest. I want to wear out God. Of course, we can't. I want to wear out God because we're calling him every day and every night. We're never letting him rest because we know we're dependent on him. Never stopping until the kingdom is restored. Never stopping until our loved ones know who Jesus is and have surrendered. Never stopping until all the earth sings his praises when he comes back. You see, we look almost nothing like the early church in Acts. Because we're not desperate for the things of God to happen in his church. You want to see the gospel spread through us like it did to them? You want to see the miracle of God's in our midst like it was in theirs? You want to see people turning to Christ like they did in theirs? Are you desperate for it? Are you crying out for it? Are you willing to fast for it? Do you want to see that in your lifetime more than anything else? Do you really long for the glory of God to be manifest and restored in his church? It's a huge question. It's a real question. Do we really want to see that? As Jesus would ask, do you really want more of me? Do you really want more I am? Are, are you tired of meaningless programs devoid of the power of the Holy Spirit? Worship services devoid of Christ-centered, Spirit-led praise? Marriage and families devoid of the presence of the Holy Spirit? Are you tired of sitting back and faking it and pretending everything is perfect in a monotonous routine that we call Christianity? Seems comfortable, but wholly ineffective to bring life change to anybody. Hallelujah. Every generation is dismissing more and more of God. Every generation. Do you long to see the glory of God manifest in this church and in the American church? Do you long to see the holiness of God restored in his church? The power of God, the heart of God, the word of God, the blessings of God, all poured out on his church, in his church, through people who are desperate and want more of him. That's the question. Fast and pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
We live in an instant gratification world. Fasting is the antidote, you know. It's the antidote to the mindset and to our selfishness. We fight our flesh with our spirit. We surrender our physical needs for spiritual gains. It amps up the volume and the urgency and the intensity of our prayer life. And we refuse to give up no matter how long it takes. We continue to reach out. If we never see his kingdom come in our lifetime, it matters. Because the significance of Jesus Christ is diminishing with every generation. And I don't know about you, but I've got grandchildren. And the world's not going to get any better. And they're going to need Jesus more than we do. And they're going to live closer to the return of Christ than we do. So for the next few minutes, we're just going to quietly pray. I want you to ask this question today, and I want you to ask it at some point this week. I want to encourage you to consider adding fasting to your regimen, to what you do spiritually every week. But here's a question for you and me. How desperate are we for God? How really desperate are we? Nobody can answer that question for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that whatever our world does, however we interpret or see our world, you have the antidote. And the antidote's always relatively simple but hard. We live in a world where we want everything our way right now. And yet fasting forces us to surrender that to you. To trust that you'll give us what we need when we need it. To be willing to wait patiently for you. To wait for what we need rather than what we think we need. So God, throughout this room, throughout this church, would you build a desperation within us? Desperation to see you lived out. When we minister to those the world's given up on, when we reach out to those, when we support those, when we spend our time in prayer, when we encourage each other through Bible study, God, would you begin to pour out your spirit on a people who are desperate for you? God, I don't know what you have planned for this church, but I want to see it. I want to see everything. So God, please help us to learn from those in the first century who prayed with anticipation. They prayed with expectation. They prayed with desperation. And they prayed with physical needs that never trumped the spiritual ones. So God, for the next few minutes, I'm just going to sit quietly and talk with you about whether we're really desperate to see you or not. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.